If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The title of our conversation is this. Oh, comma, bless your heart. Turn to your neighbor and with just the slightest condescending tone, say, hey, bless your heart. For the married couples that came to church arguing on the way here, you're welcome. <laughs> welcome to our online campus again. We love you. I have a friend who serves in our military who has been on deployment, and he had an opportunity uh, to get some Wi-Fi this weekend and watch. His name is Chad. We love you, Chad. And you're overseas somewhere. We honor you. So glad you could watch today. We're going to look at the book of Mark today, and uh, I promise, I promise I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Not with the actual message. We've got a long way to go. We're going to look at the book of Mark, which is written by, you guessed it, Mark. The first nine chapters of Mark, we see the preparation of Jesus' ministry. We see the theme of Jesus' ministry exampled in Mark is that Jesus serves humanity. Jesus, who has the highest authority, the highest power, examples to us the purpose of this authority and power, and it is to humble oneself and to serve, to serve others. And then Mark takes us immediately into the, the life and ministry of Jesus. It is action-packed moment after moment after moment of Jesus serving humanity. Jesus is on a mission, and his mission is people. And then we get to chapter 10. It's this in-between chapter because 11, chapters 11 through 16, we, we see the, the, the burial and the death and, and, and Jesus raising from the dead and then the last words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. But, but chapter 10 is this in-between chapter, which is where we are, we're going to camp today. And Jesus in this chapter, this chapter is all about his journey on his way to Jerusalem. And where we are about to read, Jesus has just rebuked his disciples, which I love reading that because it encourages me. Why? Because how often as a disciple of Jesus, I am rebuked, not just maybe by a leader in my life, but by the Holy Spirit. I'm encouraged by how often the disciples are rebuked because of how often I get it wrong. Okay, it's just me. You guys are perfect. That's cool. We'll keep moving. In Mark chapter 10, what we're about to read, this is a scripture, catch this church, this is important, that requires thinking. This is a scripture that is often taken out of context and misunderstood simply because a lack of effort, a lack of willingness to think. And we can miss the whole point of what Jesus is actually making because of something that has crept into, I would suggest, the Western church, and it is this, lazy thinking. Church, if I could remind us, God gave us a mind. God gave us a mind and he wants us to think. Pastor Josh Kicker, who preached last Sunday, anybody love Pastor Josh Kicker and his preaching? He alluded to this last weekend, how often we see Jesus answer questions in a way that was to get people 
and his disciples to think. Instead of the easy way out, just an easy answer that, that with an easy answer, it, we, we don't really grasp the weight of what is being taught. I'm reminded when I was in high school, where I did not do much thinking, I remember being in a class and asking the teacher, hey teacher, do we have a test next week? And she didn't answer my question with an answer, she answered it with a question, she said, well Josh, have you read the syllabus? Since that's not the question I asked, and I've been in this class long enough for you to know and be aware that I don't read your syllabus or any other syllabuses. Is. I wanted the easy answer. But if we value God's word, if we are hungry to be disciples of Jesus, then, then we can start to wrestle with God's word. And our thinking can be challenged. Even in church, I don't come just to hear a nice sermon. I, I want my thinking to be challenged, not by my words or my opinions, but by the truth of the word of God. Can I get an amen? My thinking can be challenged, it can be renewed, it can be elevated to God's thoughts and ways, and I can be wrong, and I can learn, and I can change by His grace. And we can, as a church family, we can dive deeper into understanding who God really is. And we can go beyond surface-level Bible reading. And in this instance, a verse, like we're about to read, we will find that it can be equally freeing and outrageously challenging. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It's titled, in my Bible, The Rich Young Man. If it was written about me, it would be titled, The Short Young Man. I think another title we could have given this is, is this. The cost of discipleship. Verse 17, and he was setting out on his journey. Now, if I could ask us, church, to stay engaged in this moment. Take in the scripture. He was setting out on his journey, who Jesus was, and a man, we could assume this was a young Jewish man, a religious man, ran up. Think about the posture of this young man, ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? As an answer with an answer, he answers to the question, why, why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And then the young man responds with excitement, well, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done all those things. Verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. 23, verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, and the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want to bring some clarity here because this is often what gets taken out of context. I, I did a construction job, which is my claim to, to fame, for a part of my life. And I, I, I would have conversations with this gentleman that also worked at this construction company. And he was an older gentleman, and, and he, he, he would talk about how he was a Christian. And he, would, he knew I was, at the time, interning at church. He knew I was a Christian, so we'd, sometimes we'd have conversations. And, and I'll never forget one day he was complaining about this individual, this man that he knew. I also knew this man who was a very successful and very wealthy man who was a Christian. And I, I remember this, this friend of mine at, at work was com complaining about this man. He said, well, well, Josh, you know what Mark chapter 10, 10 says, because he's wealthy, he's not going to heaven. So I asked him a question. I said, well, are you a Christian? He said, yeah. I said, do you do, you do the lottery? He said, yeah. So if you win the lottery today, are you going to heaven? He didn't like that question. Because here's the point. The problem isn't if you have money. The problem is if money has you. We need more Christian billionaires. I pray for your business. I prayed for a young man in our church who started his business this week. And I prayed favor with man and with God and blessing over him and his business's life. He's a kingdom-minded businessman. I pray God blesses you. Imagine billions of dollars in the hands of a kingdom-minded follower of Jesus. I met one of those. I met a Christian billionaire a month or two ago. And he himself is funding a God TV network to go around the world to spread the gospel. I love that. What happened to my keys? Did they disappear? If you notice, I have to turn all the way around because I've reached that stage of my life where I slept on my neck wrong and I haven't been able to turn it for a week and a half. And I haven't been able to play golf, so pray for me. Verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished. The disciples are hearing this. And they said to him, and this is an important question. This is an important question. The disciples are freaking out. And they say, well, then who can be saved? Then who can, who can be saved? And Jesus looks at them and he says, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said in response to this, it's true. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left their house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution there will be persecution and in the age to come eternal life Jesus reminds his disciples oh you will be rewarded verse 31 but many who are first will be last and the last first before we pray I forgot to mention this earlier and I want to make sure we pray for them as well pastor Stephen Sharon our senior pastors they have been in the Netherlands specifically in Amsterdam, and they've been teaching pastors. I think we have a photo of the church that they were in, over 40 pastors. Yeah, it's a shame about the venue, just really basic. And uh, But this week, we're 
spent three days just investing and teaching pastors in the Netherlands. And then I want to show a photo of a couple because uh, Pastor Josh and Joyce, they are planning a church in Amsterdam, and they're able to do that church because of you, because of your, your generosity. They are having a vision night. I think, when is it, Mark? Tonight? And they have over 60 people going to this vision night. It's their first night. Pastor Steve's going to be speaking. And I want you to see them because I want you to pray for them. Josh and Joyce. Can we pray? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit of God, you're here. Wow. You smile at every person in this room. God, help me. I need your grace, your power, your authority. Without it, I am nothing. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this church plant in Amsterdam, Pastor Josh and Joyce. God, that you would strengthen them. That as Pastor Steve speaks tonight, that vision would be casted. That you would shake the nation of the Netherlands, the city of Amsterdam. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of a church that has vision. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. One more time. Thank you. Let's give it up for our amazing. Someone asked me a question recently that I didn't like. And I didn't like it because I don't like answering this question. Every time somebody asks me this question, it, I am stumped by this question. And I've been asked it many times before. And, and one of the reasons I have not answered this question, I'm unable to answer this question, is because it would take hours of work of me sitting down and figuring out the answer to this question. And even after wrestling over different options of the answer to this question and consulting friends and, and, and other people of what might be the answer to this question, even then I am not sure that I would come to the right decision uh, or the answer of this question. The, the question is this, is what is your favorite movie? <laughs> now some people in this room, you already have, you know the name of your favorite movie, but I would just rather talk about all the movies that I love. Like just a list of movies that I love. Like back when, you remember when Disney made kids movies actually for kids, you remember that? Maybe there's any millennials here today, remember Brink? No millennials? Johnny Tsunami? I love movies, I love stories, I love a good story, but I don't know that I can answer this question because of the different genres and types of movies, or maybe the, the era, the time of when I watched the movie. I don't know that I can answer this question, but I know, an, I know a question I can't answer is what is my least favorite movie? Marley and Me. What a stupid movie. If you don't know what Marley and Me is, it's a movie that rips your heart out of your body. It's about a family that gets a dog and you, you become a part of this family as you watch this movie and the dog grows up, it shows all the memories and then the inevitable happens, the dog goes to dog heaven. Why would I, why would I go through the pain and sorrow of this movie? I recently just ran 36 miles, that is a humble brag. I would rather, run, run, I would rather go through the pain and sorrow of running 36 miles than go through the pain of watching Marley and me again. If it was about a cat, <laughs> give me some popcorn. <laughs> I 
I'm joking. Maybe. What I've noticed is when, whenever somebody asks me this question, people lean in to listen. Well, they want to know the answer. There, there's some questions, like I don't know if you've ever been at dinner, and everybody's talking, and then somebody asks a certain question, and everybody stops and starts listening because they want to hear the answer to that question. And here in Scripture, there's this moment of this question asked of Jesus, and everybody leans in to listen. It grabs everybody's attention, and the Holy Spirit makes sure Mark includes it in his gospel so that we would be captivated by this question today. Find ourselves in Mark chapter 10, and we see a young man who is excited to meet Jesus. He's excited to follow Jesus. He thinks he's willing. Most of all, his heart is burning with this question. Verse 17, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think it's important we notice the posture of this young man is one of respect and it's filled with excitement because of this question, this important question, what must I do to be saved? And everybody leans in. I mean, what a question. But before we get to the question, I want us to note that he calls Jesus good teacher. And before Jesus acknowledges his question, he points out to his use of the word good. And he makes very clear for this young man and for us today to understand this important truth, no one is good except God alone. That outside of Jesus, we have no idea what good is. We think we do. And how frankly and easily we throw the word good around, referring to people or actions, I'm good, they're good, they have a good heart, or bless your heart. Church, catch this. Jesus points out this young man has a superficial understanding of what good is. And the trouble with humanity is we think we know what good is. And we tend to also think that we are good. The problem with our view of good is it's relative. It depends on who's defining the term. You ever notice everybody has their version of good? And that the world and culture has its forms of good that are ever-changing? What this young man in Mark chapter 10 is getting at is something that people still, even in the church, pursue today. How good do I have to be to get into heaven? Which laws and how many good things do I need to do so that I can go to heaven? Another problem with this superficial view of good is we compare. We gauge how good we are based on how bad somebody else is. You ever done this? I do it on the golf course all the time. Well, I'm better than them. I haven't killed a guy. I haven't thrown my golf club after making a triple bogey playing golf, Derek Donnelly. Here, here's the thing. We can always find someone who we think is worse. Well, I'm not an adulterer. And we compare external actions, yet Jesus shatters this with his teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Good is not just measured by external actions. It goes deeper. It's within the heart, the mind, and our motive. God looks at the heart. And the Bible reminds us how dangerous and how damaging comparing ourselves 
is. The truth is, is we can compare all we want. Yet we will always find ourselves all in the same boat. So church, what is good? What is good? Jesus makes it clear. God is good. Only God is good. And so if I do anything good, it's because Jesus loves me. And because I love him and I want to give him glory. Outside of this, it is superficial good. This is why culture can celebrate something that looks good, that sounds good, maybe even feels good, but its motive is not to honor and glorify God. I would suggest it's not good. Church, we must understand, we must. Jesus says goodness is defined by the character of God. We see our perfect holy God revealed in his perfect law that Jesus came to fulfill. And when we judge ourselves against this law, that's when we begin to understand when the Bible says that there is no one righteous, not even one. And it is from this viewpoint of our perfect, holy, righteous God that nobody is righteous. This is the truth of the gospel. Write this down if you're taking notes. I'm not good. God is good. And only God makes me good. This is the point. Church, this is the point. It is from this young man's superficial view of good that we also approach the gospel incorrectly thinking that there is something that we can do to make us good enough to be saved. I heard a preacher talk about this recently. He's a good preacher. He's a phenomenal preacher. Preaches the Bible. He was reading this story and he was concerned about the perspective of his church. And so he asked his church, hoping that they would know the answer to the question, if you died today and you stood before God, and God said to you, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? And the pastor was disappointed because 80% of his church said things like this. Well, I tried to, to be good. I mean, I was a leader. I served. I gave. Essentially what they were saying is, well, I think I'm, I'm good enough. And this is the failing view of this young man who was looking for the way to earn the kingdom of heaven, not realizing it can only be inherited through Jesus. And so Jesus responds directly to the spiritual state of this young man because he thinks if he keeps enough laws that if he's good enough to earn the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus takes him straight to the law. Now I need to take a moment because before we get too unsettled, maybe some of you are thinking like, Josh, can we maybe be like a little more uplifting and encouraging today? Like it's only January. Church, get this. The law and the fact that we cannot keep it leads us to abandon hope that we can do something about it. It leads us to abandon hope in ourselves that there's something that we can do in church when we understand that we are not good, and that there is nothing that we can do. We can now pick up our hope and place it in the name of Jesus, the one who paid it all. This is good news. 
This gospel is good news that I can take the hope that I have and not have it in myself or what I could maybe do, but I could place it in the only one who could do something about it. His name is Jesus. If you were here today and you were unsettled or you're concerned by what you've heard, maybe, maybe your hope is in the wrong place. Friends, the good news is, is that you can put your hope in the one who paid it all. It's Jesus. So church, I ask this important question today, and I want us to think about this. Where is your hope? Really think about that. Where is your hope? Is it in performance? Do you think God loves you more by doing good or loves you less by doing bad? Or is your hope in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? The grace and the mercy of God. Y'all still with me? It is with this Jesus takes this young man straight to the law. Verse 19, Jesus says to him, well, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, he names more commandments. And then the young man responds and says, teacher, with this eagerness, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And so as Jesus starts to name the commandments, this young man who has his hope and his ability to earn salvation and his ability to keep the law, he begins to feel relieved about his eternal status. His hope begins to rise in himself and his response and thinking that he's kept all of the laws. He says, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm good. I've done all these things. You ever met somebody who thinks they're perfect? Maybe they're next to you. We all know, church, we all know this young man has not kept all these laws. This young man sounds arrogant, but he really believes that he's good. And he really believes that he's kept all of these laws. And he's asking, what more must I do? And then the conversation takes a drastic turn. Verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And before we, we go to what he says to him, before we go to the answer, we see in this moment a glimpse of the gospel of Jesus. Mark could have just wrote, and Jesus looked at him and said to him. But Mark made sure to put in there so that we could see and understand. It says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus' response is not one of condemnation, not one of shaming him in front of everybody, embarrassing him, revealing just how not good he is. Jesus looks at him and the Bible says he loves him. He's filled with compassion. It reminds me what the Bible says. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Church, Jesus looks at you today and he loves you. He loves you. Do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that? That Jesus looks at you and he loves you. Jesus was trying to help this young man understand what's really going on. My friend, the only way into the kingdom is if you bring nothing in your hand. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, 
You can only receive it by grace and grace alone. Verse 21, here's the answer. Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus keeps putting the law that this young man is so confident, confident of to the test. Sure, you may, you may obey all these laws, but there is this one thing. We know that there were others, but Jesus is pointing out to the one thing that this man is unwilling to surrender. The one thing that's keeping him from being able to truly follow Jesus. And it's in this response Jesus says without saying, oh, there, there's, there's actually one law you've broken, my friend, and it is this, love the Lord with all your heart and have no other God before me. Jesus knew this young man served another God. He knew this young man worshipped another idol, money. Jesus is pointing out this young man may look good, he may go to church, he may live a respectable lifestyle, but there is one problem. He isn't willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. Now let me clarify, Jesus is not calling us to sell everything and be poor for the glory of God. He is pointing out to this young man who was seeking things over seeking God. Church, I've been here. Maybe he went to church, maybe his Facebook religion status said Christian, but his heart and his mind was captivated with other things. With his bank account, with his financial status, his heart and his mind was consumed with his estate. And Jesus is simply revealing something in this young man that so many Christians, and church myself included, we tend to struggle with, and that is we, we, we rank money above God. Verse 22, think about the change of this story. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, I don't think there's any issue with having great possessions. I just think there's greater potential for those possessions to have us. Think about this. The young man who at first, think about this church, at first ran and fell to the feet of Jesus with excitement and willingness is now walking away. What a picture of the church today. Now the excitement, the hope has changed for this young man to despair. He is, the Bible says he is shocked and he is devastated because he would not trade his possessions that possessed his heart. Because he would not trade his treasure for all the treasure of heaven and earth. The treasure that was standing right in front of him, Jesus. Maybe you've been here where you started excited, running and falling to the feet of Jesus, but when it comes to the cost of discipleship, we would rather walk away. I mean, think about this. This young man thought his own possessions were, were worth more than Jesus. 
He would rather his own bank account than the kingdom of heaven. And so while he was rich and while in the natural he was wealthy, my friends, this young man was bankrupt. And this is where we must find ourselves. The understanding and awareness that I am spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. It begs the question, if there is anything keeping me from serving Jesus, will I give it up? If there is anything keeping me from serving Jesus, will I give it up? Church, the bad news, we're all in debt. Spiritually, we are bankrupt and we can't pay it. There is nothing that we can do. And the moment that we sin, we are in debt to an almighty, righteous God. And the only person who could get this young man out of his spiritual bankruptcy was standing right in front of him who left his throne and took on the flesh of humanity and went to the cross to take on our sin and and shame. And church, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus paid our debt and gives to us his righteousness. Can I get an amen? His righteousness, that is the only thing that pays the price and the demand of God's law. The gospel is good news. And if you read on, the disciples, they're still not grasping what Jesus is teaching and saying and the full message of the gospel. So they ask Jesus, well, who who can be saved? Jesus makes his point clearer. My, My friends, my disciples, nobody can do it on their own. With man, it is impossible. It is only through the paid sacrifice of Jesus. It is only by the blood of Jesus. You can do nothing about it, friend. Jesus, he did everything. It's only possible through Jesus. And as we close, I think this, and the keys can come back up. The whole band. I think. This rich young ruler is a confronting picture of church culture in America. If we do good enough. If we think we're good enough. If I go to church enough. If I give enough. If I. Keep enough of the right commandments, but like this young man, we are unaware of our spiritual bankruptcy. And that something has a hold of my heart. Church, write this question down, and I want us to think about this. What has a hold of your heart? What has a hold of your heart? Church, like, like this rich young ruler, may we, may we run to Jesus with excitement, with amazement. And like this rich young ruler, may we fall to the feet of Jesus. But unlike this 
rich young ruler. May we, may we stay there. May we remain at the feet of Jesus. You see, running to Jesus is the easy part. It was not made easy. Make no mistake. It took the sacrifice of the Son of God for this to be made possible. But for us, it is easy to run to the feet of Jesus. But what, but what is not as easy is to remain at his feet. Why? Because it takes a constant daily surrender of whatever may be holding me other than Jesus. Church, may we be a community of followers where we, where we run to the feet of Jesus, but we remain at the feet of Jesus. And whatever it costs to stay there, it's worth it. Whatever it costs us, to keep following him, may we remain. May we stay at his feet. Whatever it cost, he paid more. May we continue, church, to run to Jesus. And may we stay. May we stay. By his grace, we get to run to his feet. And we get to experience his grace and his mercy. And if you're like me, I'm understanding more and more how undeserving I am to be anywhere near the presence of Jesus. And how good his grace is that welcomes me and forgives me of my sin and makes me righteous, his righteousness. That I can remain at his feet. And this journey of being a disciple of Jesus is learning to let go of the things that are holding me and preventing me from staying at his feet.